Number one, Denver Underground, Jackie Ward Gaines. Talking to them, but I think the hard part is I don't always know how to have the conversations about race mm-hmm. um, because it feels like it's a sticking point where you can get into trouble mm-hmm. um, just by just by talking, and it shouldn't be, but it, it feels like it can it can it can go that way, and, and I think it, that's, and it, it really can't. Yeah, and uh, that's that's what's wow because if you talk, most people really want to talk about it and get it off. You know, yeah. it's like the elephant in the room. Um, and I look at our race relationships just that as relationships and think about the things that you've been through in your relationships with the significant other yeah. and the things that you need to talk about and they're like the elephant in the room and you got to get them out and you got to be able to talk and you both want to talk about it yeah. and you're going to talk and it's okay and um, and I think like I said probably um, one of the biggest things at HBCU is being able to approach that conversation and being very comfortable though about it and not having any hatred about it that you went through every grieving process so that you now understand that and you're okay with it and um, being able to actually start that conversation because it's the elephant in the room and you know other people might want to talk about it, but they're a little scared too and you know it's one of those things that um, talk about it and if you're open and honest and trying to talk about it no matter what you say it's not offensive because it's open and honest right and sometimes some of the best honesty is you know little kids where they'll say something like wow you have a black toe yeah I do yeah because again it's just so honest yeah and they mean nothing by it and it's what's on their mind yeah um, and you know that, and so it's not offensive at all. And that's what my because kids... you're like, all right, hey, yeah, 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 you're right. It is me. I mean, that's what my kids do. They they're in a school with kids of all different colors, yeah. and they will say they'll be like, her skin's a little darker than her skin, yeah. and they just say it, and I'm like, uh, is that, that right? Your... Yeah, and I'm inside. I'm going, is that right? But I'm, I'm also I'm saying, well. Yeah, yeah that is. is exactly that is the that is the perfect descriptor. Yeah. But it's uh, it becomes it's so loaded within our culture. Yeah, it's so it loaded within it our is. culture that, um, and then I think like on the we're we're like I probably get hung up is on like the liberal white guy side. Yeah, yeah, There's a yeah. different hang up yeah, yeah. of, and that's that fear of talking about it. But yeah, um, you're right. Yeah. And a fear of talking. Am I gonna? Say it wrong, or what am I gonna say? Yeah. And if you're just open and honest and say it, it's then it's out so of the room. it's so out of the room. Um, and then the air opens up. It does in the discussions too. It does, yeah. and it just opens up, and and uh, like, oh wow, you know, um, and it, it is. It, it's so interesting, and you know, like you bring up, you know, we all understand oppression, and it's how we've answered. And and, and my daughter, you know, she gets a lot of questions at her school, and and you know, how to handle it, even, you know, wanting to touch her hair, you know. Hair thing is unbelievable. And, <laughs> and you know, I'm like, if they're really, again, you know, she knows if they're just really, man, I've never touched it. I want to touch, you yeah. know, this, they're, they're young, they're teenagers, they want to experience things. And if this is what they're asking, honestly and open, it's okay, you know. But for those that have already formed an opinion, oh, this is nasty, I don't want to, you know, then, yeah, maybe that's, that's who you are. You feel offended by. So this is what I didn't understand about the about <laughs> hair. Is that I read a book on like on 
the like the black experience in America back in college. Yeah, yeah. And this was a this was set up in like logical arguments about yes. and it was and went through history and there was a quarter of the book was just about on hair. On hair. And like I'm gonna explain to you all about my hair so you don't yeah. come up and touch it. <laughs> and I was sitting on the side reading it going, I I have no idea that that the that the understanding of hair was such a big part of yes. of, of, of black culture. Of black culture. It is, it is, I, I, I had no idea. It is. Uh, yeah. Like I said, a lot goes on in barbershops, beauty shops, and uh, funeral homes. But yeah. What's the funeral home part of it? Well, just because, again, those are the only things that have been, you know, traditionally black all along. Okay. And uh, so that's why it's just, that's where a lot of culture is. So. Interesting. I didn't know that there were traditionally black funeral homes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and actually, some of the um, mortuary schools um, that uh, first um, let in uh, African Americans, uh, and it was kind of more of a background, like, you know, um, it was... Um, it was a shame for the white mortician to have to actually embalm a black body. Hmm. And so the thought was, okay, maybe if we train one of them, <laughs> that they can do it and we don't ever have to do it again. Huh. And, uh, and you know, even the question, should we embalm a black body? But, you know, but, okay, that is the law in the U.S. And so we have to do that. And so it was a big, uh, a big deal. So black morticians have always had high stature in the black community really? um, because it was one of those first real trades, so to speak, or, or professions that they would let you do because they had to, because they didn't want to touch your body. So um, that huh. is, is one of those things that's it's traditional. You know, you, you you go to a black barber, you go to a black beauty salon, you go to a black mortician. It's just, <laughs> those are the <laughs> steps of life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, and, you know, it was someone to give dignity um, yeah. at the end. And so, and someone, you know, you probably wanted someone to give dignity and care at the end. And so they've always been very respected um, profession. Hmm. So much I don't know. <laughs> Get all this little bits at a time. <laughs> oh, yeah, those little bits. But um, it is, I told you, I mean, I'm sorry, American... Um, history is, is, is just awesome and there's so much to take away and then um, it's sad when we don't take away all that we can yeah um, it, it's so much yeah definitely it's a uh, I don't even know where to start on it <laughs> it's yeah no it's great it's one of the it's one of the things where uh, I think you get out of the country sometimes and you see oh see like the great stuff other places and you come back and you see the great stuff here yeah and then um the the process is taking to get here is brutal yeah and uh and and uh fascinating it and it's amazing it's, it's just amazing yeah yeah so where where what's your family name what's um, the... it's ward is okay. the uh, surname and um we, um, they were Irish um, and are originally Irish Americans when they uh, came over. But um, the uh, three, um, um, he left all the slaves to his three sons. And so one went to New York, one went to Virginia, one went to North Carolina. 
So we have um, three separate, of course, branches of our world oh, family. Do you know the right three? Any of the other ones? Yeah. And yeah. Um, Ashley, which is, is kind of cool, mm, I think I, I was probably maybe like 21 or something. We had a really big family um, reunion, which was pretty cool because, um, of course, you know, there there's always the stories, and I'm sure some of it true, and, and it's obvious of the kids that, you know, given the word mulatto then, but they were mixed and they belonged, uh, they, the father was uh, was the slave owner then. And so it was kind of cool because we had both sides of the family. Um, so to have the uh, the white wards and the, and the black wards, so it was pretty cool. Really? Uh, yeah, huh. it, was, uh, it was a little interesting. That, is, that does sound interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty funny. I bet. <laughs> Some interesting, like breaking the ice on that one must have been like, oh, yeah. so, uh, <laughs> Gotta go to shift. <laughs> yeah, all right, let's all get right. out of here. <laughs>that was actually the end of the interview with Dr. Jackie Ward Gaines. Let's go back to the beginning of our conversation, kind of pick up where we started. Let's start let's start at the beginning. Take me back to the beginning. So where where, uh, where where are you from and where so first tell me tell me uh, just for everybody, tell tell us who you are. Um, and your title and... All right. Um, Jacqueline Ward Gaines. Um, and uh, let's see, I'm from Hampton, Virginia. Got to pick a place. Yeah. So that sounds like you were from more than one place when you were a kid? Well, um, my uh, father was originally from there, but he moved a little bit for the Air Force. Um, so I, I, you know, that's my home, really. My sibling's a little different, but yeah, I still... Hampton, Virginia. Okay, and so were you? Uh, were you born there, or was that? I was like born where... and uh, graduated high school there. Okay, so. and then trips in between to other yeah. places in the world. Yeah, right. yeah. where'd you well, go? Well, mostly just in the U.S. Okay, just uh, he was stationed in Florida and Alabama, so okay. we were just right back in Virginia. In Virginia, and then uh, siblings. It sounds like you have one or. Oh, I have four brothers, one sister. All right. And where do you fit into the... Uh, I am the baby. You're the baby. So your sibling, when you're saying your siblings were a different story, they ended up in Virginia later, is yeah, that right? Yeah, All and right. Uh, I was an accident, you know. I was the... Right. When they thought they were finished with their family. Okay. So... And what, how far, how far, uh, what's the age difference between you and the Yeah, the my one? closest sibling is seven years older than I am. Okay. So to this day and age, that's not a big difference, but considering... Most of my siblings are one to two years apart, and then all of a sudden, you know, that was it, and seven years later, I spring up. So they had lots of babysitters, but you didn't have that, like, (laughs) you didn't have, like, the tight-knit brothers and sisters in there. Okay. Um, And so uh, when you were were growing up, your dad was in the air. Your dad was in the Air Force? Uh, Air Force for a while. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what did he do? Uh, He was a supply and supply technician. Okay. And so you were you were coming up through um, growing up in Virginia, and did you did was medicine that was something on your mind when you were growing up, or yeah, I um, well science was on science. my mind. Okay. Uh, science has always been on my mind, and I um, I used to love to do like little experiments and with uh, uh, more insects than animals. I would say right. I think that could probably get you arrested these days, but um, I would uh, then try to take care of sick animals, and I just thought the body was amazing and um, how things happen, how they grew. And so I was always interested in that. And our 
our family physician, you know, from a young age, I would just love to go in his office and hang out just so I could see things. Cool. And who, who was that? Uh, his name is Maurice Frazier. Okay. Yeah, died a couple years back. All right. What do you remember about him? Oh, um, I, I thought it was interesting, especially then, not a lot of African-American uh, physicians and those that were there and the way they treated uh, their patients in the community. And um, he had, um, of course, he had trained. The only place to train then was uh, at uh, historically black institutions. And, you know, I'd just sit there and talk. I thought it was amazing. And I was probably more amazed that his own children didn't want to do medicine. Mm. Did you keep in touch with them kind of th- through the years? Or? Uh, yeah, okay. uh, definitely. Um, the running joke was that he was, of course, a family practitioner, that I was going to come back and take his business over. Uh, of course, that's not <laughs> what happened. But um, I definitely I stayed in contact with him for a while, He and he practiced for a very, very long time. And, um, you know, my graduate, he gave me a graduation gift. He always, you know, we stayed in contact. And like I said, very sorry to see him uh, pass away a few years ago. Yeah. And was he, was he on the base or was he in the community? No, nope, he was, was he? In, in the community. Okay. Mm-hmm. And was it a predominantly African-American community or was it? Yeah, yes. Um, it's an area called Phoebus, which is, was a predominantly African-American area. Okay. Yeah. And where did he, where did, do you know where he trained at? Yeah, uh, he had done uh, some at Howard and... Um, I'm not sure if he did Meharry, but I think it was all Howard was his uh, background. Okay. All right. And then, um, so tell me about the experiments you did on uh, on bugs. <laughs> I would uh, basically dissect flies, take their wings off, you know, try to look at eyes up under microscopes and yeah, just... Just crazy things. Did you have a microscope at your house? I did. You did in your in your room in your house. <laughs> well, yeah, but I only used it outside. You know, I right. take it outside. All right. Spent all day outside playing with bugs and animals. So yeah. Cool. And then, so the animal part. Did you did you consider like veterinary medicine too at any point, or is this? You know, I did, but again, it was just science. It was just science. you know leaves, um, you know plants, things like that. So just being out and looking around and. Um, I, I still, I didn't think of animals, you know, they were just more of a learning stage for me rather than right. <laughs> being a veterinarian. They were the experimental <laughs> dissection stage. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, and then through high school, did you, were you kind of on a, any particular oh. science track or did you just like love science and go yeah, that Yeah, I had, um, I joined, there was like an allied health science group. Um, I did a lot of volunteering and so, um. I volunteered at uh, nursing homes all the time, and um, uh, I did a lot of physical therapy. I really thought I was going to do physical therapy. And oh. That's what um, so I kind of, which there wasn't sports medicine per se then, but it was sports medicine, physical therapy is really what I was interested in at then. Okay, were you into sports at the time? Did you play? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, would you play? <laughs> uh, softball, track, little basketball. All right. Okay. What was your best? Uh, what was your best? Best sport? My heart was in basketball, but I was. A, much better softball player. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What, what didn't work about basketball? Uh, probably because I was trying to be too flashy, you All know, right. and instead of being fundamentally sound, I wanted to, you know, see how fast I could go behind my back. And, you know, my coach used to say, you need to either slow down or speed your dribbling up, but, you know. <laughs> so you have, you have a daughter that plays basketball? Yes. Do you, has that, have you taking those lessons to your parenting of her in terms of how, how she approaches the game? Um, 
you know, yeah, but uh, she's just a total different animal than I am, you know. Um, it just comes so natural for her. So the fundamentals, um, she naturally has those. And so it's a lot different. But she still dribbles behind her back? The, oh, yeah. All the time? <laughs> but her dribbling keeps up with her feet? Is yes, that the difference? Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. Um, so you, uh, when you when you graduated high school, what was the next step that you, that you took at that point? Um, it was uh, a little interesting for me then because um, I I knew you know eventually, like I said, I, I, I medicine maybe physical therapy it was something in the health field, um, and so going to college, um, I enjoyed the military. Um, I had actually. Um, joined uh, the Army National Guard, Virginia Army National Guard, the year before I graduated high school. And so I went to basic training between my junior and senior year. So I was really having a hard time because I I was trying to figure out how to do it all. I wanted to do, you know, some kind of health field physician, you know, somewhere in there. And then I wanted to, uh, I wanted to serve. I enjoyed the, the armed services. And so trying to put that big picture together. And so I was offered, um, you know, I had looked at sports, playing sports in college, and I was offered a four-year Army ROTC scholarship, and uh, and then just deciding where I was going to go. Um, and um, there were a lot of things in high school, uh, as far as diversity and things like that. So I really I wanted to pick a place that was, you know, I could put it all together and it was good for me. Okay. And what where where did you end up choosing? I ended up going to Florida A and M University. Okay. Yeah. Where's that at? And that's in Tallahassee, Florida. In Tallahassee, okay. Yeah, and what yeah. drew you to, to Florida A&M? What was the... Uh... Um, it was truly that it's a HBCU, Historically Black uh, College and University. Um, and then I thought it was one sort of with a lot of spirit. Um, my father's family, um, a lot of them had been at Hampton University, and it, it's the difference in the um, probably more of the southern tradition that was at Hampton University and um, I, I still didn't feel that was a good fit for me um, and so I it, it was one of the best decisions I ever made and you know that was a decision I made last minute um, I turned down a lot of other places um, I looked at statistics and I go you know you tell me why you know out of your you know, less than 10% minority, you know, less than 0.01 or 0.09 graduate. And if you can tell me that, I'll come to your school. I'll accept your scholarship and come. If you can't tell me that, then I don't want to be there. Was anybody able to answer that question? No, you know, Dartmouth tried pretty hard, um, but they, they, you know, they identified that there were probably some things that they didn't know and some issues, but they just didn't know how to address it. Mm-hmm. And, but they came the closest to still trying to answer it and persuade me to stay and come with them. Hmm. It seems like a, I feel like we could talk about that <laughs> oh, yeah, for we, an hour oh, <laughs> or two. That's easily an hour topic. <laughs> so in terms of, huh, okay. <laughs> easily an hour. Yeah. It, it, it's like I said, it was, it was one of my best decisions. And um, I really... I gotta say, I'm 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 so happy I made that decision. And um, you know, a lot of people, again, your perspective in growing up in the U.S. and the things you go through, and you know, they just don't realize that they've never sat in a room and been the only person like themselves in that room. Um, and to go through that the majority of your life, um, it's just not a good feeling at all. And the pressures in high school 
And especially, you know, I remembered or two other friends I have, and they called us the Three Musketeers because, you know, us three would, you know, hang in all the AP classes. We'd get all the grades. And, you know, just the, the, the stigma and the things that we went through. And um, with some of uh, – there are two other African Americans in our classes with us then. And, you know, just the difference because – you know, we were searching for something that, you know, we were just ourselves. We wanted to be ourselves, and um, we wanted to be accepted as we were. Um, and so going through that and seeing the difference in how, you know, we all handle it and what we did differently. What are, uh, so of the three musketeers, mm-hmm. what, are the other, what are the other two doing? <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting you say that because um, uh, one of my friends, Kathy Thomas, um, she went to an HBCU too also. Um, we were, this was a decision we at the last minute we had a um, a uh, another um, teacher in our school that just told us you know I know you guys are kind of suffering with these choices just look at these um, schools and you know really look at the history and, and look at what's going on and you know try I remember trying to get my parents to take some last minute trips because I thought I knew since we were right there with a big HBCU in our in our city I thought I knew what it was about and there was still just so much more. And um, she did well. Again, she did awesome. She was working for IBM early. She used to travel. Um, she did an awesome job. Our other friend, um, uh, she didn't. Uh, she uh, she ended up going to I think she had University of Virginia or James Madison University for one degree. And um, you know, we all talked about what we wanted to do. So everyone knew I was going to do medicine. Kathy was going to do some computer stuff, and Tia was going to be this great lawyer. And, you know, for her to get a teaching education, you know, there's nothing wrong with that degree, but that wasn't her dream. And the difference in her experience, um, you know, in college by sophomore year, she was so beat down and just torn down um, where Kathy and I were just motivated and just ready to go. And, I mean, most um, black professionals come out of HBCUs. Mm. And I think it's that time period to finally be able to, um, again, not have to worry about anything but just learning. And that if you're in a classroom and the teacher doesn't like you, she just doesn't like you because she doesn't like you. There's nothing else. Um, And such a supportive, fostering environment where you really, you're working with each other and you're pushing each other to to be the best you can and learn the most. It's a total different environment. Mm. When you when you talked to was it Tia? Uh-huh. Um, yeah. when you talked to her about her experience, were there things that she identified of of why of like particular things that made it really hard there? Um, and I th- I think one of is isolation, no matter what, um, is that isolating feeling. Uh, and uh, again, especially, you know, with anything in the US, um, if you look at social economic status and once you cross certain um, thresholds of socioeconomic status, there are fewer and fewer minorities. Um, and so, um, again, just going to an environment where you're already in, in such a little number and now you're even smaller, and so that isolation, it plays a big part. Um, and, you know, again, her, we were loving college. We were ready to go back, and, you know, she would not want to go, not want to go home every weekend. Um, just it, it was it was just a total different experience, and I never forget when, you know, she changed her major from poli science to education, and you know she barely you know graduated. We're like, what happened to you? You know, what's what's there? And so it it, it is. Um, I can't think of anyone who, especially you know, most of my friends I look at, you know, when we left 
um, our school, we left with the ability to go anywhere because um, we knew what our foundation was. We we were happy being who we were. Um, we, you know, I, you could sit in a room and, and I accept my differences for what they are and I accept what this country is and I can go from there. And, you know, and, and having that positive experience, you know, is, is just something you you can't, um, it's, it's very hard to take away. And most people take that for granted, especially when you're in the majority, because you never have that feeling. Mm-hmm. You never spend your entire education in a school system where there's no one that teaches you that looks like you. Um, so it, it's, it's very profound. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's an impact your life big time. Yeah, it's something that, you know, I think we, over time, have heard more about it, mm-hmm. but it's something that never crosses my mind. I mean, it's just, as yeah. being a white guy, that is just, I have a setup that I have a setup, and I think we appreciate it without taking time to appreciate it. Yeah. Um, and are, is there anything, so I, I think isolation is an interesting subject. Is there anything in, is it, is it out or is it outright people isolating um, film or is it the kind of the inward is there an inward struggle with the isolation or is it a cultural isolation or what, what do you think it's, the driver of it is it's such a combination um, you know one thing in this society um, you know we, they look at that time period you know 1800s and before and slavery and you know to in that and not be honest about you know the things that happened then and accept that responsibility to move on from something so bad. You have to accept that responsibility and, um, you know, what's been done about it and how do we move on. And instead it was just, okay, this is it, let's move on. Um, And so some things are so culturally um, or in our society, they're so ingrained in the society, people don't even realize things that they say and how they do and, and what that offense, you know, that that offends people and what that means. Um, and then when you're, when you're in that environment all day, every day, and feel, you know, that, you know, 90% of the day was offensive to you, and then, you know, that doesn't make you want to reach out. Um, and, uh, and then when you reach out um, to be totally reminded of your differences over and over again, and not just, oh, they're different, but um, this is a difference that, that they don't like. And so it, um, so the isolation, it comes from both ways, you okay. know, definitely. Okay. We'll get back into that. <laughs> but I'm going to keep going. Yeah, let's keep going. Bit. Let's keep All going. Right. So, uh, from Florida and uh-huh. uh, into the military at, the, at that point, or from um, that school? I, it was kind of a, a quick detour, um, for almost a year because I did receive my commission and I was supposed to go in. Uh, but at the same time, I had applied for a, um, a scholarship to med school, HPSP scholarship, and uh, that was uh, kind of in the works. And so the Army kind of let me delay time um, to decide. And I ended up, uh, I worked for Pfizer during that time period. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> so about nine months. Somewhere okay. And what were you doing for Pfizer? <laughs> um, I was doing research um, on statins, actually. Oh. LDL, I worked with Dr. Thompson uh, in his lab at Pfizer. It was pretty fun. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, 
So, so I excuse me on my. That's okay. I don't. I don't know military stuff uh-huh. either. So there what happens go. when you get commissioned? Okay. What's, what's yeah, that, that becomes an officer. So right. I was a second lieutenant at Butterbar, as most people call it. Okay. Uh, and uh, like I was supposed to go in and get started right away. Okay. And then, so after the the time of Pfizer, mm-hmm. it was I went went to med school from went there. Went to med school, mm-hmm. and where'd you where'd you end up at? I uh, ended up at University of Chicago. Okay. And what was the what was the choice about going to University of Chicago like? And why why'd you choose? Because this is south to, <laughs> yeah. to, you know, the area areas of the country are about the same. Honestly, I okay. gotta say, um, and uh, you know, there is something to be said about the South and certain things that are understood. But um, Florida is really not where I was. It's really not South anyway. It's kind of its own place. So. Um, I, I really, I just wanted to go where I thought I could get the best education, um, and I thought I could go anywhere and do well, um, and so I, I looked at a lot of places, and I was really interested in Case Western at first, and they had started a, um, uh, they had a dean of minorities there, um, and I, uh, they had a pretty big uh, minority class before my year that were they were coming in there, and I I thought that would be a pretty good fit, but um, my I, and I thought I was I was going to commit there. I was decided, and I just went to the University of Chicago interview for the fun of it. And um, I met a pathologist there, and he he was interesting. Um, he definitely I don't think he had had a lot of experience um, with minorities, uh, but. He showed me that he was willing to learn and reach out, and um, he was very interesting. But and that was enough to say that, you know, if I can meet him and have this great experience with him, then there's plenty other people that I could probably meet here. And if all of them are, um, you know, educated and really just willing to learn, um, I think this is okay place for me. Hmm. That's pretty cool. On multiple levels, the first that you met a pathologist yes. was so interesting yes. that got yes. you into medical school. <laughs> that might be the most fascinating thing about that whole that whole thing. Uh, and it, it, which was pretty funny because he was under his microscope and he really wasn't listening to a lot that I had to say. And um, I probably was taking the, I probably pushed the limits because I didn't think he was listening to right. me. Um, and then he uh, he demonstrated that he was listening. So what was that? What was the conversation? That, uh... um, there was a, a show then out Arsenio Hall, oh, yeah. and um, uh, Arsenio would do this thing at the end, you know, whoop whoop whoop. And so um, he was asking me some questions and how I was responding to uh, some exciting things that we were discussing and some research and. Um, you know, I was kind of like whoop whoop whoop, you know, because I was like, oh, this guy's not listening. Who cares? Um, and it was pretty. He turns around and he goes, "What was that?" <laughs> and I was like, "I'm expressing. This is the way I'm expressing my excitement." And um, you know, it was interesting. And he said, "No, that doesn't bother me." And he goes, I'm, "It's okay. I think you should be able to express your excitement however you'd like." And uh, it was it was a very interesting conversation. And he was asking. Um, what is a sellout? I mean, it was just, it was so funny. I mean, it was hilarious conversation. All right. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. <laughs> so it wasn't like, it wasn't like the, you know, I used to look at her microscope. And no, not at all. That was not the pathology. That was, was not, right. you know, which was, which was interesting because, um, 
and that's something on, on interviews now um, I realize um, is that most likely the people you're interviewing can do the work. They've got the scores. They've got the things that are there. And so it's kind of for you to capture that one moment of their personality. And is that going to fit here? Um, are they really going to add to it? Uh, what is it about that person? Um, what is it that you need to know? And he, you know, that was what he captured for me that day is, is you know, I'm sure you can do the work. That's not the question. The question is, do you fit here and what can you contribute? All right. That's awesome. So what was med school like for you? It was actually, I mean, it was hard. Um, it was honestly probably the first time that I had been academically challenged. Um, I did, you know, everything else was, was pretty easy. Or, you know, I had to learn and I wanted to learn. But this was the first time I probably had, um, I was I was challenged. I did have to actually work. Um, and uh, But overall, I, I enjoyed it. Um, it, again, it was a rough time, hard hours, hard times. Um, and probably the hardest thing for me is I've always been very social and having to not be able to hang out with my friends uh, because I actually had to study, you know. So that was that was probably the hardest thing. Yeah. That's a, that is a hard thing. Did you, uh, did you know people in Chicago when you moved up, or was this a whole uh, new, a new Yeah, I, I had an uncle. Um and uh, his family, and I'd hung out with my cousins before, uh, so that was fun. And then um, I had some friends who they were doing, you know, um, uh, graduate work there in Chicago also. And so, yeah, I got a quick friend base really fast. Right. Great. So um, from med school, did you, was it, were your sights set on emergency medicine coming in, or how did how did that process take place? You know, I um, as I did my rotations, I I enjoyed all of them. I was probably more interested in anesthesiology, um, and then I was um, surgery. But I, I thought uh, surgery it was just too much the brutality for for what it was worth. I thought you know I'm going to spend a year repleting electrolytes, another year writing pre- and post-op notes, and, and uh, maybe the third year doing some surgeries. And I'm like, okay, so I'll get an appy and a gallbladder. You know, I just, it didn't, the things that I really would want to do. Um, and so I put my days of insect dissections down, and I was like, yeah, I think emergency, because I think I want the challenge of knowing as much as I can about everything and, and all material and seeing if I can kind of keep all that together. So that's I kind of that's how, what how I came about emergency medicine. Okay. And did you uh, when you left medical school is the process that you go through regular residency or do you go through a military residency or how how did that? Well, first through medical school, you have to spend your summers, um, because I was on the scholarship, HPSP scholarship, I had to spend my summers um, doing some military stuff uh, um, and actually working, doing rotations at military hospitals, which is, is, is awesome. Um, but uh, then um, afterwards, uh, they pretty much, you know, they say the needs of the Army, right? So... Um, you, you can select a specialty, but just like, you know, specialties out in the civilian world, um, you want more primary care, less subspecialties and things like that. So emergency medicine, um, you all, you had to spend time actually working as a general medical officer first, mm -hmm. a GMO, uh, just because they're, 
they need more general practitioners. And so they would let you do it if you, you know, scored high enough and qualified, but, and they didn't care if you did it in or out, but so to speak, you had to spend uh, time with, uh, with them doing general practitioner stuff. Okay. And how long did, how long did you do that for? Uh, for about four years. Okay, of, of being a GMO. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, flight surgeon yeah. too. Yeah. So what is so? Flight surgery sounds awesome. It's, it sounds like you're on, like you're on, a, on like an airplane with a parachute and you're doing like surgery, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds awesome. It does sound awesome. What it is, is not that glorious. Right. What is a flight surgery? Um, the, the flight surgery um, is uh, it's actually aviation medicine, but it's. Um, you get sent to, or if you want to apply or whatever, you get sent to aviation medicine school. And of course, you know, the top aviation medicine specialties, you know, you think of, of um, those that take care of astronauts. And so, you know, all the way from those who take care of anybody who flies. So you're the doctor for aviators. Hmm. Um, that is what a flight surgeon is. Um, and it's just because every doctor was called a surgeon. So it was a field surgeon or whatever surgeon. And so you were responsible for all the aviators. So you were the flight surgeon. Oh. Uh, and then, uh, so you learn aviation medicine, and um, then there's, uh, you know, advanced course, and then there's even a more advanced course, which would be, like I said, equivalent to your, the physicians for the astronauts and things like that. Okay. So pretty high up there if you keep going. And where were you, where were you stationed and what were you doing at that time? Um, uh, aviation med school is uh, down in uh, Alabama, Fort Rucker, Alabama. Uh, by Lister Hospital, um, and so I went through there, and it was awesome, um, and I got a chance to be with a couple of aviation units, so I was with an attack unit at Bragg, I was uh, with a fixed wing uh, unit uh, in Korea, um, let's see, I was with another um, attack, another Apache unit um, in Georgia, so it was pretty fun, it was yeah, pretty exciting. Settings. But no surgery on planes. No surgery on planes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds but but um, I must admit the um, the evacuation and um, um, air transport is is uh, I thought that was the coolest part of it. I think you know being able to understand and um, set up air transport and things like that. When do were you? Um, did you serve during combat time where you were, you were doing that? You know, um, it's weird. Uh, there were some smaller things that that we did and. You know, my 2214, if we can talk about those things. Um, I, I but uh, <laughs> uh, so there were some smaller things going. But as I uh, um, uh, got out at the end, um, we helped set up uh, some uh, medical command, um, but it was for Afghanistan at the time. But then I was getting out. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break to do a battery change. Sure. All right. <laughs> All right, that is, this is post-battery check. That is, a, is, it's pretty weak sauce, but all right. Okay, so we were at the end of the awesomeness of flight surgeons. Yeah. Okay, all right. Um, so after after that point, is that is that when you're finally, you're, you're like out of training when you're done with flight surgery? And well, what happened, one of the things I think you missed, um, to be a general practitioner, um, you have to, you know, spend a year a, as a transitional um, intern or okay. transitional resident. So I did that there in Chicago at our primary hospital, um, which is in Berwyn. Um, and that was, that was awesome. It's one of the oldest programs and um, really great experience. And so then I went in and um, spent a couple years GMO. Then I decided, hey, flight surgeon is uh, – because you just – you want to – 
make the most of the experience and really get a hold of everything. And being a flight surgeon, you're able to be with units temporarily um, uh, and then, you know, like certify these guys to fly physically, um, certify the divers to dive, you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty fun um, and being with them and really being a part of that unit, which is a different experience from, you know, a lot of physicians. So, yeah. And then, so when you were at that point, was that the end of your military? Time? Yeah, that so was like that six years in. Or? Yeah, yep. Okay. And uh, I I kind of decided then it, it was um, a lot of a lot of war. Then I, I got married. Then I guess I kind of left that out too during the time period. But um, and we had started a family, and it was just it was crazy because we were both um, gone so much and. Um, the way then with the war, we were both going to be gone. And so um, he was closer to retirement than I was. And so we decided that that was a better deal. Okay. And what, what did your husband do? Uh, he was actually aviator. He, oh, yeah. Um, he, yeah. Um, at, he, at that time, he might have been flying Chinooks then. I think he had transitioned to Chinooks. Wow. That sounds yeah. sweet, too. <laughs> All right. You got some cool stuff. All right. Uh, so... After that point, did you come to Colorado at that time? Uh, nope. Okay. Um, I went to Chicago because what had happened, because I had wanted to do emergency medicine and um, I had uh, done my year and when I came in, I had requested all ER positions. Um, and so I had got them. So I was, although, you know, they need support as far as primary care, I was in um, ERs all over. So everywhere I was, I was either in an ER or in the field with a unit in the ER or in the field. Um, so had I stayed in, there was just no question um, about, um, you know, I'd be in ERs, wherever. Um, and so coming out, um, looking at the civilian side, you know, the um, they wouldn't let me challenge the boards um, because I wanted to challenge the boards then and just take it. Um, okay. And they wouldn't let me do that. Um, and so I needed to actually um, finish the rest of a program or do to do it. And when I started, everything was a four-year. You did a year of, of internship of something and then three years. And so um, I wanted to find a program where I could just kind of quickly, you know, do my thing in, in guts and glory and get it over with. Okay. And where yeah. was that at? Uh, New York, Brooklyn Hospital, New okay. York. Okay, cool. Interesting. <laughs> and uh, so you've gone to like every great <laughs> Cool place in the world. All right, and so what was Brooklyn? What was what were like the what were the goods and the bads of, of, uh, of Brooklyn? Um, it was truly it was work, you know, and it was it was patients coming at you. Uh, the volume uh, was crazy, um, and it, it was just fun seeing um, probably that type of uh, of the U.S. Um, where I think, you know, I, I've lived enough that, I, you know, I've seen the South, I've seen, you know, big cities, I've seen smaller cities. And, um, you know, so I really wanted to care for patients in that big urban environment and see what that was like. Okay. And what was the big, what was the big change? In ter was it just volume or was it mental health issues? Was it, um, it was the also the, the patients. Um, you know, like I kind of forgot the difference in, in Chicago, some of the patients I'd seen because I had been um, taking care of soldiers for so long yeah. and their families. And I thought I had the best patients in the world. Um, and I wanted to be all I could be. So, you know, um, for every soldier, I wanted to give them the best health care, the best outcome. And it was different um, when you're faced with a, a range of Americans mm -hmm. um, and 
it was, I think, the first time a patient cursed me out in New York. I was, I was ready to put him in the push-up position and, and stand at attention, and I'm going to get your sergeant. I mean, I was, it, it took me a minute because um, yeah. I was so used to patients who um, <laughs> were honest. Uh, <laughs> they wanted help. Um, they would only come to me when they needed help, and um, they respected me, and they gave me their best, and I gave them my best. How do you think that, um, how did that affect the way, this is maybe too big of a question, how did that affect the way that you went about patient care at that point? Or did you see major changes in the way that you address patients in Um, those three years? I I did because um, some patients and, you know, it's weird the New York way, you know, it's kind of forget about it, you know. So although some patients would curse me out a moment later, they were asking for my help and, you know, it just, again, opened my eyes to the different experiences of different Americans and why they are like they are, why they do what they do. Um, and then that maybe I should um, still give them the same care. Um, is it their fault that they don't necessarily know how to ask for care if no one's taught them this or trained them these things? Yeah. Okay. I think that's, that seems totally Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And so uh, then you're, you're done with your residency, and at that point, what are, what are your kind of next steps there? And the next steps then, um, you know, like I said, for me, it was just so hard because I had been doing emergency medicine for so long, uh, and then to come back and have to officially, you know, do it, which, I mean, a lot of programs I looked at, we talked about that, like, you know, because some of them were like, are you going to be able to, you know, you've you've been commander of your own, you know, um, what's equivalent to urgent care. Are you going to be able to come back and and do this? Um, So one of the things my husband and I, we just, we wanted to kind of get at a place and just, you know, stay still. Uh, And, um, you know, again, he had been back and forth war after war and while I was, you know, finishing this. And so we just, we wanted to be still. we decided Denver uh, because we thought his parents um, were less mobile than mine, and they were here. And so we said, what the heck, we're going to come uh, here to Denver, and uh, we think this is where we're going to settle, or that okay. was our thoughts then. Okay. And you came to work at university at, at that point? Um, yep. Uh, I looked around out here and was um, trying to decide where I wanted to be, and one of the things, like, you know, when you're in Chicago and New York, there's so many options. Yeah. And, you know, Chicago, Loyola, Northwestern, Rush, University of Chicago. I mean, you could just, there's so many great institutions in, in academic medicine. And the entire time I was in the military, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of, uh, um, you know, the academic centers, not a lot of research. And so, you know, I had done um, a little bit of research on backpack wear or ruck packs and mm-hmm. things like that, but it was really hard. I did some on back pain. But, um, and so academic medicine is what I loved. You know, I let, um, I would do some teaching for our medics and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I knew I was going to be at an academic center. It was just a matter of, of where. And so there really wasn't much in Denver other than University of Colorado. <laughs> So let's, I, I want to try to skillfully come back to the isolation top yeah. just coming in here. So diversity is, oh yeah. yeah. So did you feel isolated coming into the program? Oh, here? well, definitely. Um, one of the things, again, because 
you know, when you grow up and you realize, you know, the bottom line is your happiness and, and that's what's important. And I came out here and um, I had actually, I did some research first and because I was trying to get a feel for what the university was like. And um, I uh, ended up working with Rob Wynn, doing some research in his lab. And I, you know, I went to one of the minority women meetings here because I, I just really wanted to see what it was like. And it, it was it was definitely quite, um, it was shocking. Um, I, like East Coast, um, it, it's, again, you know, a lot of minorities, um, yeah, a lot of my affluent minorities, and so just totally different than here. And um, it, it was wild just to see what the numbers and how low the numbers were. Um, and, you know, I, I, I figured it would be a little low. It was a lot worse than I thought it was going to be. Um, and I had a lot of talks with, um, with uh, the higher-ups, the chairman, things like that, about uh, being here. And it was interesting that they even said that every time they hired a minority that they would pretty much – stay here a year or so, say they don't like it, or, and and then they'd go back East Coast. So they were like, they'd all leave. And um, that was one of the things that we talked about a long time because they said, are you just going to you know work here a year and leave? Um, and I felt with my husband being from here, I felt I had family support, and so that I probably had the, the best likelihood of staying here longer than any of the other physicians they had. Okay. And that was those are questions that was that were posed to you as you came in the door. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they yeah. were posed to me. You know, as I because I told them I was interested and and yeah. um, I wanted to lay my cards on the table and let them truly lay theirs yeah. on the table. Why do you not have minorities? Yeah. Um, because I know minorities have applied here, and so why do you not? And, and you know that I'm going to be honest with you. I am who I am. Um, I can provide great medicine. I can be a, a great asset to your place. Um, but, you know, what is it here that minorities aren't staying here? And, and um, you know, what's going to happen to me? Should I be here? And how long ago was that? And that was uh, almost 10 years. Well, pretty much exactly 10 years because I was looking, um, you know, at least a year earlier or okay. a year in advance. So what were the, what were the challenges? I'm guessing, that I'm, I'm thinking that there were probably early challenges and late challenges um, kind of in the process of, coming into the department here and into the school in general? What were kind of the early challenges? Um, the early challenges, uh, I must admit, it was um, it was the lack of minorities. Um, again, I had Rob Wynn to kind of talk to and, and um, as a mentor, but I didn't have, again, anyone who looked like me yeah. uh, to be a mentor. Um, it was a little difficult. I was the second minority in the department, um, and the uh, only black female uh, at the time. And uh, so it was, it, it was uh, pretty tough, and not just with the rest of the staff, um, not uh, working with or seeing, you know, black females, but then um, from the residents to the med students to just the school of medicine, um, were their numbers even lower? And it, it was, uh, it was definitely, it was, uh, it was a little difficult, more difficult probably than I thought it was going to be. So did you, to make that, to make that transition successful, how did, you, how did you set yourself up, I guess, like emotionally set yourself up and in terms of engaging other people around you? And how did you try to make this so it would be a, 
position you can thrive in? Um, emotionally, um, I got to admit, it's family support and family. Um, and I do see why other um, physicians here do not make it, so to speak, um, meaning you do have to have a good family or community environment. And so I'm very active in the community. And um, that's really what kept me is that my husband, because he, you know, had friends that he graduated from high school and college with here, he, um, you know, we pretty much in the black community here, a lot of friends, a lot of support. Um, and so that kind of kept it going from that perspective. Um, I thought our chairman, um, you know, his goal to improve diversity, um, which I mean, I don't know, luck or straw, he did. He hired a, a minority like once a year for like five years. Um, but I, um, And it was interesting. Um, I tried to reach out and join a lot of committees and things that, um, again, you know, I'm the only one. Um, and my opinion probably differs from theirs. And when I would struggle with that sometimes, I could go talk to our chairman. And it was interesting. He would tell me, Jackie, just keep going. And he goes... You know, because sometimes I'm like, it's silly. I'm sitting on this committee, and I'm the only one with my viewpoint on that committee. And I look around, and it's truly the old fogies club. Nothing is going to change. And he's like, just one vote at a time. Just stay there. Stay there. And I look at the the face of these committees now, and they're so different. Yeah. And uh, so it was just interesting to have seen those changes. It's you a know, a bit of patience there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what when you're saying that your view is very different. Can you give us, give me just an example yeah, of like what those... Again, um, my view coming, uh, again, just I, I can't change who I am and my background and the things I've seen. And, um, you know, if you haven't been exposed to, um, you know, um, uh, black people who do not trust the medical community, mm -hmm. black people who've never seen a white physician, um, those kind of things and just how you think... Um, uh, you look at a person differently and you, you think about um, a person differently. So um, when we would interview minorities, um, I knew that that was a minority that I thought was that would be quite successful because they were happy with who they were. They had accepted that. Whereas some of the minorities that they thought were more successful were probably those who were hiding their identity and and actually probably would would have a harder time with this, so to speak, assimilating. Hmm. And so it was just interesting because that was their opinion. Like, this is the, this is the person we want to vote on. And I'm like, no, that person is not going to make it. I'm telling you, this is the person who's going to make it. And this is in terms of hiring practices. And this like was, who, yeah, and yeah. this was on, you know, selection committees for residency and things like that. And so okay. it, was, it was just, it was pretty interesting. Yeah. So over the past 10 years, what are, do you feel less isolated in, in the community, in the, in the hospital in general, and in the department, or is, it still, is that still a big challenge? You know, it's, some of it is still a big challenge. Okay. And I got to admit, I'm probably, I'm somewhat angry with myself because I, I look at the time now and I think I could have done more, and I, I wish I would have done more. Um, I definitely know, you know, whenever um, another minority comes and, you know, I, I tell them, you know, what they're going to face and I'm here to support them. And I have, I support them and make sure I take them under my wing and, and the things that I know they're going to have issues with. And, um, but it's, uh, I, I just, I kind of wish I would have done more. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I probably could have, and some of it, it was selfishness, kind of family selfishness. I mean, you know, come on, you look at Ryan, who's getting ready to be Republican, uh, you know, House Majority Leader. I mean, yeah. he's saying, I want to spend time with my family, you know, so duty of the country and family. And so it was like, you know, what is my duty to the university, to this community, um, to my people, and then what is the duty to my family? Yeah. And so, you know, unfortunately, my family won. I don't know if that's good or bad, but. It sounds reasonable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there was more I could have done. I, but, you know, there's not a, a minority that I can say that's been here that I haven't had at my home, uh, that I haven't um, done things to help them. Um, but I, I just, I wish there was more that I, that I could have done. In terms of, if we're, if we're talking through residents and, you know, mm-hmm. the, the mm-hmm. department or the residency is working um, to uh, increase the, maybe not increase, change how we evaluate people that are mm-hmm. applying for the residency. And we're looking at minority ca- candidates now, like resiliency is something that, that is yeah. used to um, help uh, stratify people yeah. in the residency yeah. process. Um, so how how do you think that's changing right now? And do you see a big change in that? Or I, I do. Um, you know, having known our, our resident Dowen and, and the things that he wanted to do and, and how he reached for diversity. And actually, um, a friend of mine who works in um, underrepresented minorities um, who's non-medical in um and DC, I had to put him in touch with her and, and things like that. And so, you know, looking at some of those things, I, I think I think it's changed as definitely as far as the residency. Um, but I don't, um, you know, it, it's got a ways to go. But part of it is is I think identifying that you have a problem. If you don't feel it's a problem, if you don't feel you need di- a diverse training program, if you don't feel you need a diverse healthcare uh, system, and you don't identify that as a problem, then you're really not going to, um, you're not going to put forth an effort to change. You have to identify that as a problem. If you don't see it as a problem, that's fine. If you don't see it as one, but then that's not going to change. Um, so I, I'm not sure how much they really see it as a problem. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. In the uh, the greater they, the greater <laughs> okay, they. yeah, they, okay. whatever they may whatever be, whatever they right, may yeah, be, right, right, right. Uh, but I, I mean, there's support. Um, people are saying the right things. Yeah. They're accepting the program, um, and they're they're putting you know financial support behind it and uh, giving manpower and allowing that. So, I mean, I, I hope I hope the you know the faces changes. But I mean, I do. It has though. So I look. And like I said, I was the second minority in my department now. And, um, you know, I, I look at the faculty now and, and I'm like, wow, you know, we, we have, we've, we've changed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am happy to see um, uh, that we've added some minorities. Um, and then for that part, the residency also, I mean, I, I look at it and um, that, you know, that there, there, are, there, there is some diversity in the program. Um, and it wasn't there. So, you know, there's, there's improvement. Yeah. In terms of the support that for people coming in, what are the most helpful things to, to give people support as they're coming in, especially to a place that's maybe not, that's not diverse to, to try to give them the best chance to, 
to stick around and to play? Um, it, um, which, I mean, it sounds crazy, but it's acceptance. Um, and truly accepting you for who you are and whatever your differences might be. Um, and that was one thing that I, I took away um, from undergrad. It was that, you know, to know that you might not be accepted, but you just have to be comfortable um, with exactly who you are. And, um, you know, you're like, what can you give them to succeed? And it's it's theirs to succeed. It's the things, it's, it's what can you take away that's hindering them from succeeding. Okay. So it sounds crazy, but like I told you, they already have, if they're already at that point in their life, they have the aptitude to do it. That's not the question. So it's what are you stacking against them that's preventing them from making it? And so I always thought that question was crazy is like, oh, what do I need to give you to succeed? It's like, no, you don't need to give me anything to succeed. You need to take away the hammer that you're hitting with me over the head. You need to do all the other things. I'm going to succeed as long as you you don't hold me down. Um, and it is is um, that acceptance that you are um, a different background and that you might not have the same beliefs that I have, um, but we're going to get through the training, and I'm not going to be judgmental about that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So little different a <laughs> little different so what's I, I'd like to I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about patients too and because mm-hmm. I think we've talked about this on shift before that kind of the patient experience of, of somebody who's a minority coming into the department and wh- how that's different and how their tr- maybe what their perception is coming in um, and I know that this is not everybody that we're not speaking for everybody oh, yeah, but um, there's uh, what are what are the big what are the big roadblocks that are in the way in terms of providing good care to to um, to minorities when they come in? Um, is that they are not undervalued? Okay. Um, and it's weird. I I never get this um, in the East Coast anymore, um, and I just got this yesterday on shift in room. It's the in room on Southwest. And uh, I had the patient tell me, wow, you're a black doctor. It's so good to see you. Thank you for being here. This is 2015 um, and Denver, and I'm getting this. Yeah. And I, I, would, I don't get that in New York anymore. You know, I, I don't get that East Coast because they've seen enough. Um, and here in a place like Denver, you know, having talked to the couple of black physicians that have grown up here in the community, and the poor access to health care that these people have had. So they haven't even had the black physicians in the community. Hmm. And so their, their distrust um, is very high um, that they're going to be used as a guinea pig, as an experiment, um, and that they're undervalued. Hmm. And um, you don't care about me as if you would care about anyone else. Um, and so trying to be able to show them that I am going to give you the same amount of care as anyone else, and that um, I, um, um, you know, that you you can trust us to give you that care, and that we are going to give you the care that you deserve. And do you think there's just a difference when you walk in as a black doctor than when I walk in as a white doctor? That there's a difference in that relationship that's oh, just set up immediately. Okay. Um, because I walk in 
and they um, pretty much they assume they understand my background. Yeah. Um, and and so if I've come from any traditional African American family, they pretty much feel that they understand my background. So the moment they walk in, um, you I, you know I mean I can see the reassurance. Even my resident has been in there and been back and forth in the room. And then finally I go in and, and you, you, you see the letdown where finally the daughters of their grandmother are like, oh, it's okay, she's gonna take care of her. Yeah. Everything's okay, we can relax now. Um, that, um, and then I am, I'm gonna treat her as if she was my grandmother. And I, that when I look at her, I see someone that I know. I see my aunt, I see my grandmother, and I'm gonna give her the best care. Whereas when you look at her, um, you know, that might not be what you see. And so, um, it, it, it's, it's just automatic, which is speaking of the reverse, um, here in Denver in 2015, mm-hmm. you know, I walk in a, a room and I get, um, that I'm probably not as good as the white male who just left the room. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is, you know, here in this era and it, it's pretty interesting or that, um, you know, the intern is probably better than I am. Bring that, that uh, Caucasian white male in. <laughs> bring him back in the room. He's Do people better. ask you to, to bring him? Oh, I've, yeah, back. I've definitely oh. heard that one. Yeah. Yes. So, again, this is, you know, um, so sad. So it's not silent. I mean, we're not talking like a, a oh, silent no. process no. of <laughs> undertones that are, that are like percolating through there this is it's still you know there's some verbal and there's some silent but yeah. but it's it's interesting like i said to still have the verbal um comments this day and age so this is my selfish question too so oh, if when i when i walk in the room mm-hmm. there's a black patient and then there's a if there's an automatic lack of trust i mean if people are yep. if that's just kind of built in mm-hmm. what how, how do we address it and you know um they find outreach programs do the best. And it is, you know, having outreach programs and satellites and things like that where they've seen that the University of Colorado cares. They're in the community. They're doing healthcare drives. They're doing things. They're doing educations in the senior buildings. They're doing things like that um, so that they see you. You're coming out to the schools, the predominantly minority schools, and you're talking to them as med students and residents. And then they, they start getting that bond that, hey, I saw this guy. He came in and talked to us. It seemed like he understood. He cares. So now that my grandma is sick, I think this is a good place to take her. Or my mother's sick, and I know she doesn't speak English. I think this is a good place to take her because, you know, I've, I've seen those faces. I've, I've seen them before. They've come into my community, and they've tried to do something to tell me that this is an okay place. Okay. So we kind of build it from a – we you, build it individually and then institutionally at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And, and when you do these things, and, you know, there's certain – like with um, – I told you I'm, I'm active in the community, and I do a lot of the young youth sports. And, um, you know, I've tried to get, you know, bring some med students and things out there because, like I said, if you come out there and they see you, that changes things. Like, you know, that um, they saw me play ball and they were at my game, and, and, and I feel like, oh, yeah, the University of Colorado, they were at all the kids' games, and, okay, maybe that's okay place. He's hurt. Um, or my sister's having a heart attack. I think we're okay to go there, um, and and just being a familiar um, a familiar name in the community. The I think 
this is on a similar topic too. So the it comes up in terms of like you were saying about I'm going to be a guinea pig. I'm going to be tested on. Those are still oh yeah yeah still very tangible subjects. Very real subjects. Um, and um, you know I I think about my family and my mother's family that was from Alabama, and my father's family which. You know, when we look at, at blacks and generations of blacks and, and, and after um, freedom and, and what happened to your families, and, and I can trace both sides of my families all the way back, and which ones were first able to go to colleges and things like that, and, and so where they were. And so my father's family was always a little more well-off than my mother's. But with them, ha- my mother's family, having been in Alabama and having been, you know, um, around experiment and know what the Tuskegee experiment is about, uh, they always had a distrust. And you did not go to a doctor um, unless um, definitely uh, you were dying. And then you still might not go then. Why go then? If you're dying, just die. Um, and um, what's the latest comedy show out? Blackish was joking about it. You, you just didn't go to a doctor. You know, they'd give you every remedy possible other than sending you because the thought was they're going to inject you with something and you're going to get sick and, and you're going to die too. We're guinea pigs. We've always been. Um, and so that's, that's still there. Um, a lot of mistrust. Um, and um, just how prevalent that is. I was at the barbershop with my son the other night and um, they were looking at a documentary about chemotherapy and about chemotherapy being toxic. And it was interesting that the, um, you know, that they thought it was a conspiracy that we're giving chemotherapy that's toxic. And, you know, the questions are, were they giving the same chemotherapy to white people or just to black people? And, yeah, so it was interesting to see that, that those thoughts are still there and the distrust in the medical community is there, that you have cancer and you're afraid to take this chemotherapy because of such deep-seated mistrust. Hmm. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a devastating yeah. setup that we've, that we've set up over time. Yeah. And it's... Yeah. Yes, it is. Um, and it's so much, I mean, I think this country, um, you know, it's great. It could be so much better. Uh, and um, we're wasting so many lives because we're, everyone is not valued well. Mm-hmm. And if we valued everyone well, look what this country could be. Look at, at the greatness that we're just letting go to waste. Um, and uh, so it does, it, it hurts sometimes because I know, again, you know, how important diversity is and why it's important because it would be so great, you know. And it would change, I think it would change the whole, it seems like a setup to change the whole conversation. Um, <laughs> and to, not just the conversation to diversity, but the conversation with our patients and to change that chemotherapy conversation. Yeah. Um, and to, because it's, it's, it's great for me to go into the community and be active and involved, but when people have grown up in the community are, are there too, I, I mean, it just seems yeah. to make sense that, 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 uh, that makes a difference to the, to the people. So what, what are our next, what do you think the next steps we need to, 
that we need to keep taking right now. I know community engagement, that seems mm-hmm. that seems most like it's probably the beginning and the end, and we need to be out there and we need to be engaged as institutions um, and people. But what, what else? What else? Um, and again, um, like I said, truly defining if that's our mission. If our mission is to, you know, I, I feel our, it should be um, to have a diverse um training body all those that we are training from med students to residents um i think our faculty needs to be diverse our administrators need to be diverse um and um and and you know replicas of what this country is and that that's really what i think it should be and then i know then we like i said we'd excel better than any other place um we do better than any other place and we provide greater health care and it would keep um, a diverse population of patients that want to come here and um, and that would be fulfilling and grateful and give back in in, uh, in many ways, and um, so and, and like you know when you have a patient population that's giving back, they're going to give back as far as um, for research availability, just for dollars for research. I mean, when you can kind of keep that big body, and so I think first. You know, it has to be a true commitment that that's what the mission of the institution is, that that's what they feel that they want to do. Not because it's mandated, not because they come look at your medical school and ask you why don't you have um, diversity, but because you want to. Um, And, um, you know, if that's what they really want to do, um, then, again, that goes in recruiting the best then. Um, like you said, to get the patient population is getting in the community. And by doing that too, um, that will start to uh, filter in some of the best students because, oh, the university took such great care of my mom and I want to be this doctor and, and why don't I go there? I could be there. I could be the face of the university. Um, and it would start bringing those people in and uh, applying to the med school. Uh, but the med school has to have open doors and, and look at those candidates. And again, at candidates that are, um, that, you know, take away those barriers so those candidates can succeed. What barriers do we have? Really having honest conversations with what's going on. Um, are there cliques? Um, are we having open cultural discussions? And, and I must say, one of the things I, I thought that was interesting in med school, we did at the University of Chicago, um, trying to venture out, because my class then, um, we had seven um, minorities, which was the most they'd ever had. Mm-hmm. And I remember, you know, the first conversation our school had dropped um, that year out of the top 10 to 13 and people were like, oh, it's because we have all these minorities. That's why, had we not had seven, we wouldn't have dropped. <laughs> and I mean, it's hard to, you know, it, yeah, maybe they didn't get the research dollars they should have had this year. Maybe the endowments didn't come through. Maybe, you know, maybe it was those magnet programs that didn't come huh. through. That's why they're not top 13. But no, it, their look, um, our classes, oh, because we got seven minorities. If it wasn't for you guys. Um, and, uh, so again, just those kind of things, making sure those things don't exist in the med school. Like I said, don't put those barriers, um, so that, uh, your minorities can succeed. Um, so being able to talk to your class and we did one thing where they broke us into groups and we would have a cultural discussion, you know, monthly. 
Um, and so it was, it was interesting, and it was supposed to be an open environment to talk about your culture, whatever your culture was. So um, we had um, a Thai American, you know, and she talked about her, her, um, her, how she was raised in the U.S. and we had Vietnamese American, and and you know, so and it was interesting um, because. You know, as a, a black American, you know, the first thing they thought was everything was surrounded by fried chicken, you know, and, and you know, you're going to take us to a chicken shack and, okay, this is it. But, you know, really knowing and, and being open to that diversity. And just like I said, the, the stereotypes and things in America that they were quick to already, you know, the remainder of my group and classmates that grew up as white Americans were already thought that they understood the culture, they thought they knew it, and um, they weren't appreciative of it, yeah. or they had, were open-minded to other ones, like, oh, okay, let me hear about that one. Oh, let me hear about the, yours. Uh, or mine, they were like, oh, we know, it's okay, done. Um, and like I said, it's, it's um, to get over something and, and to get over the problems in the U.S., we really have to address them. And it is, it's probably not a topic you want to hear about all the time. Um, but you're going to have to address that in order to get over it. Yes, great. <laughs> no, I, I, I think all, I think that's totally true. I'm trying to think of the way to, to try to. So I, I think the fried chicken thing is interesting, <laughs> just because it seems like that would not be the topic of conversation anymore. I, I feel like we should be, be we should be beyond it. But I. The other part is that I, I'm just trying to find the way, like how I'm trying to find the way to figure out what your culture was like, because that, maybe that's a good way to kind of end, end our conversation. That might yeah. be just, you know, what was what was the most important thing to you and your family yeah. um, when you were growing up? Who were the yeah. people around you and kind of what was and, your culture? And it, it was family. Um, and um, I'm, uh, it was family and it's knowing your history. Um and again, like I said, uh, coming from um, a black American history in the U.S. and understanding um, our family generations when they start from everything from our name, where your family got your name mm-hmm. from, um, uh, you know, knowing that my father's family was split from three different, you know, slave owner sons and where they went and how they got there and, and what what that family is, having known that, you know, my mother, um, you know, has an uncle that was lynched. How did that feel not being able to know that, you know, he just disappeared one day and to find his body and how did my aunt react and, and how those things change you as a person and Mm -hmm. what that means to you as your family and what it means to be happy in the U S. Um, uh, where, you know, some people think it's uh, a $70,000 car and, and a home, you know, what is being happy in the U.S.? And um, so it is, is, again, just, you know, family and understanding um, the people you came from and their strength and their ability um, to not be able to be formally educated but still be educated, um, to reach for those um those areas and those things you want to do to truly be able to live the American dream to say, I want to be um, a physician and that I can be one. Uh, and and seeing the way people have suffered around you and the difference on how that impacted them. And, you know, it, it's like a whole bunch of crabs. Uh, um, you put them in a pot 
and you cut on the water and it's all hot. And it's like one by one, they can't get out. If they are to work together and build the chain, they can get out of the pot. All of them mm-hmm. could have survived. But seeing them constantly fight each other and not get out. And so whenever you oppress a people, you have an entire people that are trying to get out. And it's, are they going to work under one leadership and get out? Or are there going to be, be many different ways? And by everyone going in different routes, they don't get to the same place, but they all feel that same oppression. And so I, that's something that bonds all African-Americans in this country is because we all know that oppression. And it's how you and your family ventured to get out of that oppression and to get a rise above it. And, um, and it definitely it's family. And, and those that survive here in the U.S., it's, it's family and understanding family. And so those are the kind of cultural traditions I wanted to share is our, um, you know, looking at my family history, how our things were passed down, um, looking at, at the quilts that my great, great grandmothers made and they passed on with these things on it. Um, and so it's just interesting that, you know, there, there's just so much more to that, um, including even, um, you know, what the church represents uh, for African-Americans and, um, you know, gospel hymns, the difference in those songs and what those means, even to a traditional, you know, Baptist. What what does that mean? Um, and so there is there's just so much. <laughs> well, I, I, I can't tell you much. I appreciate the time that you've taken to, no to talk and um and uh, it's always a pleasure seeing you for sure <laughs> it's always been <laughs> yeah thanks All right. the end